My name is Eric Hundley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, I'm super excited. We are joined by literally a legend himself, Avi Nuam Sapir, and he has created SCAN, which is a method of breaking down language in written form or verbal form, and it has spawned off many other types of, shall we say, trades or disciplines that do the exact same thing, but you pretty much originated with SCAN. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Now, what exactly inspired you? I I wanted to reach back because you created something that is so methodical about, you know, looking at language on the page and, and looking or somehow seeing patterns of what is being said or what is not being said and how you can interpret it. How did that come to you? Well, uh, I started uh, by teaching interviewing. Mm -hmm. And for many years, actually, I was uh, dealing with interviewing. And the main uh, mantra in my classes was that the less you ask, the more you get. Mm -hmm. The problem with questions is like the periscope. The periscope... um, has two problems, and they are the same problems with questions because the periscope is limited view, and okay. questions only tell you what you ask and what you don't ask, you don't know. Mm. And the periscope has another problem that once you take out the periscope, you are not a submarine. And once you start to ask questions, you teach the person what you know, and you teach the person what you don't know, and you teach the person how to lie. So therefore, uh, when I was teaching interviewing, I was teaching how to get information without asking questions. But then, as the years went by, I saw that once you get the information, what do you do with it? Now, <laughs> that's the point. So I moved, and it was a very gradual process. I mean, we are not talking here in terms of like... Uh, revolution but it was Mm -hmm. evolution so it took me 12 years to come with a system that shows you that once you get the information how do you like you said how do you break it down so there are components of language that we should break down to check them okay okay now did it did it come? It came to you gradually as you put it. I mean, did it did it come to you verbally? I, I'm I'm a strange duck. I actually am curious, like, you know, how something comes to you. Is it something you visually started to see in terms of a pattern, or something you heard? Okay, so actually, in my classes, and uh, there were many years, I started to teach in uh, in Israel. Actually, I was I started to teach in '78. And I started to teach in the United States in 1981. But I moved into SCAN only in 1987. Mm. So that was later. That was a lot later. And actually, even when I moved into SCAN, I didn't finalize the system until 1990. Mm. So, and it was each, let, let me say this way. I asked students in classes to write a statement. Mm-hmm. And it was a statement about uh, Sunday or Saturday, meaning a free day. 
Sure. And uh, as uh, as I accumulated statements, and there were many, many, we are talking about in the thousands. So as I accumulated statements, gradually I could see that there are some points that show up in, uh, they are uncommon. They are not showing up in every statement. So when I saw them, I saw them, I, I asked people about it and gradually I accumulated knowledge. And so it was based upon so many, 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 uh, statements of students. Now, the advantage of going over a statement by a student is that you can ask the person questions about it without any crime in the background. I mean, when you move into an actual case, there is no way you can ask people to cooperate with you uh, so-called innocently. They realize that everything they say might incriminate. Mm. But a student is different. A student uh, on the altar of science, I mean, they will cooperate with you. So the point is that it took me many, many years to accumulate uh, different points that I check in statements. And also that there is, how would I say it, there is, um, there are some uh, points in statements that once they show up, what what do they mean? What do they mean? The, 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 the main point is people don't realize it, but they think when I started, let me say this way, when I started uh, to teach interviewing and I got all the books about verbal, nonverbal, they tell you that nonverbal is reliable because verbal uh, people can control. That's allegedly that they can control. But the main point is uh, people cannot control their language. And then the reason is not so much because it's conscious or subconscious, but the speed of the brain to phrase a sentence, meaning to move a picture in your mind like a video and to move it into a sentence, it calls for grammar. It calls for syntax, a structure of a sentence. It calls for choosing vocabulary, how you will phrase it, uh, meaning you can use, like I can say my son, I can say my boy, I can use the name instead of my son. I mean, there are so many options to give a sentence. I mean, so, but the speed of the brain is so fast that there is no way to control what a person says. Uh, people believe that they can, but they cannot. The only way to control language is simply not to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and if people don't talk, I'm out of business. But but what is the the FBI put statistics uh, to the public that only four percent of the American population uh, uh, choose the right to remain silent? Only four percent. Ninety-six percent do talk. So the question is, should I prepare a student? for the 4% who do not talk, meaning to deal with resistance, or should I prepare a student to deal with the 96% who do talk, but what to, what to do with what they say? That's the point. You see, yeah. most of the interviewing classes deal with how to overcome resistance. I am saying in my classes that I don't deal with resistance. I only deal with what people say. Yeah. And, that, and that will address 96% of the population. So it's an issue, um, and um, and once a person talks, let me let me show you. Once a person talks, the person uh, exposes a lot because the the way 
when you come to give a, a, a statement over even a very innocent event, let's say I will give you a statement about me getting up in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how would I phrase it? I mean, there are so many ways to phrase it. Uh, so I, by me moving to phrase it, that is not Sunday anymore. By me to phrase it, I expose myself. I expose uh, my set of priorities, what should mm. enter, what should not enter. I expose my language. Actually, I found out that if you give me anonymous letter, let's say you get anonymous letter, mm-hmm. and it is over one page, I can tell you who wrote the letter. Oh, wow. Because people, yeah, yeah, because people believe that if they don't sign it, they are safe. I mean, the mm. main point is, once you start moving into your language, you expose your uh, background, you expose education, you expose profession, you expose age, even age. I mean, there are different different ways people talk. Uh, you expose gender. I mean, men and women do not talk the same. I mean, there are so many ways to look into language. Um, and the, the main, let me say this way, the main point is, uh, because people think that scan is telling people uh, if they are lying. By the way, scan is the the main assumption of scan is that you need to take the text face value. Okay. Because the main point is most people, it's a question, how do you define a lie? But mm-hmm. most people don't really lie. They just don't tell you everything. Uh, and what they don't tell you might take the story upside down. So should I go and look for deception while most people don't really, but let me say this, what does it mean a lie? To lie by commission or to lie by omission? Right. I mean, if you lie by commission, most people don't do it. They lie by omission. They don't tell you everything. So the, the main point is of scan is how to take the text face value, face value, and to go over the language to see what the writer exposes about himself mm. or self. So uh, is this, yeah. I've had um, Jim Fitzgerald on, he's an FBI agent who worked on the Unabomber and helped with the, the manifesto. And they they located him to be from Chicago. Right, well, and they also tripped him up because of his phraseology. His, his grammar was actually so perfect, he tripped himself up. It's one of my favorite stories that but he used the phrase. Say. You know what they say? It's like my fair lady, when she talks perfect, he knows that she's not British. I mean, mm. most Americans, I mean, it's not only Americans, like Israelis. If I'm in Israel and somebody comes to me and he talks perfect Hebrew, I know he's, he's a foreigner. Mm. I mean, Israelis don't talk perfect Hebrew. Americans don't talk perfect English. If somebody comes to you on the street and talks perfect, I mean, like grammar perfect, he's not American. I mean, but that's true to every country. That's true to every language. I mean, the 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 native who learns the language by going growing up, mm-hmm. uh, he would learn it. By the way, it's an interesting point. I mean, why children by age three, by age three, already talk talk grammatically correct sentences? I mean, and who who did give them grammar? Nobody. So the point is. And by the way, there is a book by a well-known um, linguist in the United States, uh, the uh, Steve Professor Steve Pinker, and mm. he says that grammar is on the DNA. That's in, in his book. 
that there is a gene that controls GABA. Is that I like mean, genetic memory, kind of? Like we all know that a snake is dangerous just instinctively? On the DNA. Grammar is on the DNA. I mean, you don't need to study grammar. The baby only needs to know the sounds of the language, and then, because English has 26 letters, but it has 40 distinct sounds, but the, but the, the baby only needs to learn the sounds of the language, and uh, that's the first year, and the second year puts it gradually into words, but grammar is built in. Nobody, awesome. needs, nobody needs to teach a baby grammar. Uh, and and that's what he says in the book. He gives evidence to it uh, in different different ways. It's a very fascinating book. I mean, people think that um, uh, language is, um, like I said, people don't control language. Uh, the the most that you can control. Let me show you an example. Let's say that you write you write something, and mm. uh, let's say you finish writing. And then you tell yourself, before I will uh, send it away, I would like to read it again. And so you read it again. And let me ask you a question. Did, did it ever happen to you that you told yourself, that's not what I wanted it to be? I wanted it to be different. Oh, sure. Uh, of course, it happens to everybody. But then I have a question for you. How can you say, that's not what I wanted it to be, if you were the one to write the, the text? So if you are the one to write the text, how can you come and say that's not what I wanted it to be? So who wrote the text? And the main point is there is a mechanism in the mind that brings that feeling because the most that you can control is, I would say, between four to six sentences at the beginning. But the more you move into the writing, the more the writing takes over. And the the writing starts flowing. And because it starts flowing, you lose control over the writing. And it, it goes in speaking as well. So the point is, like I said, like I started, I mean, people do not control language. And I can show you more. Uh, for example, uh, I, stud- I studied uh, many years ago in high school. I studied Arabic. Yeah. Uh, Arabic is a language that emphasizes the beauty of the language, not so much the content. I mean, yeah. and therefore, if you talk in Arabic, it's very interesting. It happens even if you are a Western. I mean, you are a person with Western mind. You move to speak Arabic. The language will force you to adapt to that language. And language is not only language. Language is culture. Mm-hmm. So by you speaking in that language, eventually you will forget what you want to say. Because you will move to improve your sentences from one to another. So you cannot come and say a sentence. You will say a sentence and then you move to improve it because you are very much concerned about the beauty of the language. So you move to fix that sentence and then you fix it again and you fix it again. And then you forget what you want to say. The main point is that there are, and this is only one example, that how you move from one language to another and the language imposes you the way of thinking. Mm. The language, meaning English, by the way, it's well known. English is a very logical language. It's a cold logic language. Mostly Germanic based, especially. uh, Uh, Well, it is French influence. We don't like to to admit it. No, no, about a third. It's, uh, I think, uh, two thirds German, one third Latin. Right. So there is is a story about uh, the revolution in Egypt that uh, in 1953, that the the day before the revolution, 
the conspirators talked to the, between them in English. So mm. after the revolution succeeded, they asked the, the leader, why did you talk to us in English? And why not in Arabic? I mean, they are Egyptians. Why not to talk in Arabic? And he said, when you need cold logic, you move into English. That's interesting. Have you read, I've read about how Chinese, that their language, the way they count is part of why they produce so many brilliant mathematicians, because the numbering structure and how they say them actually facilitates the mental ability to calculate faster and higher with uh, different numbers. I'm not uh, familiar with Chinese. Uh, more, um, although I have students mm-hmm. who uh, studied scan and they are using it in far in the Far East. That all the concepts of language behind the language, all the concepts of language are the same all over the globe. It doesn't matter which language you talk. Mm-hmm. The the concepts behind language they are the same. The fact that you lose control over the your own language that's the same. Uh, the but I but the, it's true by the way that language is culture. So um, there are many like in Hebrew there are many ways for thinking. There are many words for thinking. Like they say the Eskimos have many many words for the snow, and mm-hmm. the the Arabs have many names for the camel. It depends mm-hmm. if uh, oh yeah they do 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 have many names. So it is a point that, that language is culture. And um, so when you you go over a text, like I said, that's why I'm saying that when you, you go over anonymous letter, you can expose uh, a lot about the person. And I'm saying that you only need one page. Wow, that I mean, makes sense. Now, you were, you're applying this, um, and I'm very interested in the language angle especially, because you're applying it to the Bible, which is really kind of a mess in of itself, because are we talking about the King James Version, or are we talking about the original Hebrew, or Greek, or Aramaic? Uh, Let me say this way. When I I went to analyze uh, the book Genesis, Mm -hmm. uh, the book Genesis, that's a very interesting point. I I know in academia, uh, what they call biblical criticism, they say that Genesis is, is a product of four sources. I mean, that's the document theory. But the main point is, changes in language is not different people. If you go over a statement of uh, uh, even modern statement, and mm-hmm. uh, let's say a student writes a statement about his Sunday. So, for example, he will say, my children, my children, my children, my children. And then he said, the kids went to bed. Mm. Not children. The kids went to bed. What do you think I tell them? I tell them, you didn't put the kids to bed, your wife did. Because there is a well-known phenomenon that a couple, if they live together for a long time, after a long time, they start to merge vocabularies. So, therefore, the person will quote his wife at that Mm. time when he writes the story. So the, the mem- But that doesn't mean that two people wrote the story. It only means that there is a, a, some points in language that will cause changes in language. So if you take, for example, Genesis, uh, but it's not that simple because it's not a statement of one page. You talk about 50 chapters now. Uh, so, But if you go over the book, you realize that it's only one person is writing the book. Uh, and the, the fact that there are changes in language 
only because each, for example, there are changes in the the names of the Almighty. I mean, there yeah. are different ways to relate to the Almighty, but that's only because each name is distinct in the writer's language, because they are not, they are not, the main point is, let me say this way, there are two channels of communication. Mm-hmm. One is the content, or what you want to say, the sequence of events. Uh, let's say Genesis wants to tell us from the creation till the end of Genesis, it ends with Joseph in Egypt, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that's sequence of events. But there is another channel, which is the language channel, meaning that we communicate information via our language. And most changes in language are due to emotions. And it is a fact, by the way, that most memories, uh, not most, memories for long term are located in the center of emotions in the brain. That's Mm. physiologically, that's where emotions are located. And we find out that most changes in language are due to emotions. So when a person changes language, there is a reason. So you can see, for example, in Genesis, that there are times in which the language indicates formal language, and there are times that it indicates personal language. Oh, is that like possibly a stage in life? Or I've got a couple questions on that. Like, number one, you're talking about impactful things like deep memories. Uh, Probably the strongest impactful thing we have is smell. Like if we smell a particular thing that we felt as a child, it, it immediately takes you back. When you're talking about like formal language, casual language or whatever, could that also be stages in life? Like as a child, I'm saying father and I'm seeing father in a manner that maybe is very different than, you know, my dad, he's passed away now. He, you know, is gone. And, and I knew, grew to know him as an adult as well. Respect is there, but perspectives were shifting over time. But, but, but your relationship with your dad was very good. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, right? yes. No, no, because you said my dad. So Mm -hmm. now if you take, for example, the title, my dad. So there are two components to this title. Number one is the my, meaning the possessive my. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the pronouns are a component of emotions. So Mm -hmm. if you use my, it's positive. And if you use no my, if you just say dad passed away, so that's a missing my. So, but if you say my, that's positive. So Mm -hmm. the... The pronoun, the missing pronoun or the existing pronoun, that's called emotions. But then when you move to dad, that's the that's the endearment versus father, which is formal. Mm-hmm. So you can use you can use let me show you, you can use my father, you can say my dad. But if I have to choose between saying my father versus dad with no my, I will al- always go to the my father. Mm. Because the my is the emotional bond, while the father is the way you look upon reality. So there are, there, let me say this, there are two components in language, the formal, the informal, but also the emotional versus logical. Mm. So the, the, there are two issues in my dad. Yeah. So the, there are, and if you go, for example, uh, into Genesis, uh, th- does it say um, my son Joseph or does it say Joseph my son? Mm. Because each one of them is very different because the, the, what you put first would be different from what you put last. 
So there are so many ways to move into language, and each way that you do, that you use, will expose something about you. Okay, I'm interested too. What what is the deal with the dates and the numbers, the ages? It seems to be just so important to state that uh, the person was X amount of age when they had a child, and then they lived X amount of years with a total of so much. You know, it's almost to a silly math equation because of the consistency of it. And since you are, you know, looking into the I, I'm sure there's intent there, and you could maybe help. No, there is, there is. There is actually, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, because the, there is a professor in Bar-Ilan University in Israel who wrote a book about numerology in Genesis, and he's mm. talking about exactly what you are saying about the, the ages. And he says that the ages mentioned in uh, although my book about uh, Genesis did not deal with numbers, but it deal only with words. But okay. he moved to the numbers. Now, he <laughs> says the numbers are symbolic, that mm. each number is symbolic. That the, And he goes to, for example, uh, it's a long story, but the main point is mm. that he talks about the perfect numbers, the whatever, and the... How the numbers, but it's because he's into statistics and he says statistically there is no way that they uh, lived such and such years. That that's he's talking about it from the from the from the point of um, uh, numbers. What is the chances that the numbers are almost the same in every single age? Um, but the point is. This is, let me say this way, this is secondary to the sequence of events. Let's say Abraham didn't live 175 years, he lived uh, 80 years or mm-hmm. 75 years. It would be meaningless in terms of the sequence of events, the, mm-hmm. the numbers. And by the way, I, that professor in his book, he convinced me. He convinced me that the numbers are symbolic, okay. uh, but, but, but it has no bearing on the sequence of events. The sequence of events is the sequence of events, and the language and the numbers are two different issues. I mean, so um, actually I can tell you right away that there are points in Genesis that show us that memory is playing, meaning the one who wrote the book, uh, the, the one who wrote the book did not invent the stories. He only put them to the writing. That's so was different. it oral tradition being passed right. down? It was oral tradition before that, and mm. the one who came to the writing, he was the one who wrote it from memory. Now, mm. but 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 once you move into the writing, you expose yourself. That's the main point. It doesn't matter if you use memory or not memory. Let let me say this way. Let's say somebody will lie to me, and I will ask the person only one favor. Just make your lie a long one. Because once you make it a long one, you expose yourself via the language. I mean, the language has nothing to do if you are truthful or deceptive. You still use your language. What language has to do if you are truthful or not? I mean, you, let's say as we grow in our life, we accumulate language. And Mm -hmm. uh, gradually more and more and more. And by the way, I read, there is encyclopedia about language. They say that the average person 
in society use only 1,000 words. I mean, statistically, mm. 1,000 words, you are swimming in English. I mean, and mm. if you know 3,000, you are a professor in college. Now, the main point is, although the dictionary has 500,000, who knows, but nobody uses them. The, the 1,000, you are proficient in English. And by the way, that's true in every language, not only English. Uh, mm. 1,000, you are done. Now, and the, but, but the main point is, even if you take Genesis, uh, the language in Genesis is uh, quite restricted. Uh, we have verbs today, even in Hebrew, modern Hebrew, that they do not exist in the Hebrew of the Genesis. Mm. For example, uh, in, um, it's very interesting to realize it. Uh, for example, there is no verb in Genesis to agree. You really? will not find the verb to agree in Genesis. It hmm. doesn't exist. So how do they substitute? So they say to go with. And by the way, we, we have the saying, I will go along with you. Mm-hmm. What do you mean I will go along with you? That means I will agree, I agree with you. But that is... But it's not exactly the same because to go along with them means I will do what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree, but I'll play along. Well, let me say this. If you will do what I'm asking you to do, I don't really care if you like to do it or not. (laughs) (laughs) You want to go along with me, right? Oh, yeah, there's that. The the, the point is that there there are, for example, that's the verb to agree, but there is also another verb which is not there, uh, it's the verb to understand. Mm. And uh, therefore, the text uses the verb to see. And you will okay. see places, for example, uh, on Mount Sinai, and that's in Exodus, on Mount Sinai, you can see in Hebrew that it says, and all the people saw the sound. How can you see sounds? Why, they they took drugs? That they saw sounds like uh, LSD, whatever? No, but the main point is, so the sounds mean they understood the the sounds. Mm -hmm. So there are are verbs, and by the way, the translations, uh, I'm not talking only uh, non-Jewish translation, even Jewish translation, if you move, if you will see, if you take even uh, uh, English translation in the Hebrew Bible, they get lost there. They get lost there. They don't know how to deal with it. Uh, how can I say so the sounds? I mean, they, they are they are practically speechless. They don't know how to deal with it. So they are moving around it because they don't understand that there is no verb to understand. Mm. They don't get it. So the, the, the language, it is, let me say this way, it's the language of the time. At that time, you are talking here what? Uh, uh, between 3,500 to 4,000. That's a long time. I mean, today we don't understand Shakespeare, the English of Shakespeare. Right. Go and figure you understand it. That's only 400 years. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, today an Israeli who speaks Hebrew cannot read the text of the Bible correctly because he reads mm-hmm. it with modern Hebrew, while this is not modern Hebrew. So the, the, the book, that that's why I call the book, uh, uh, linguistic archaeology because you need to understand the language before you even read it. And I'm not talking about just reading it in <coughs> in English. What about reading it in Hebrew? It will still be a problem. 
Right. And there are so many points that if you if you uh, don't read it in the Hebrew of then, for example, let me show you. There are uh, we have in English the word to love, okay? Mm-hmm. But the Bible, the the uh, at least in Genesis and throughout the rest of the Bible, they have different ways to love. Mm. Uh, because you realize Hebrew is a language that has what they call seven structures. Each verb has seven structures. So if I want to say, let's say, for, the, for example, to break, the, the verb to break something. But, but in Hebrew, you have uh, uh, the simple to break, and then if you want to say he broke it strongly, you have structure number two. Mm. So you will, you will, there is a derivative of the word, the, the verb to break, and you have seven ways to do it. So if I want, for example, to come and tell you something, I did it within myself, that's another structure. You will still use the verb, but you will use it in a different structure. So therefore, the verb to love, uh, take just the verb to love. The verb to love, the, you see in the, uh, the text of Genesis that there is a verb to love uh, that is between husband and wife, meaning mm-hmm. romantic love. Mm-hmm. But there is also the verb to love between parents and children. Because parents do love their children, but they do not love their children as they love their spouses. So we therefore, <laughs> yes, so therefore, the the text uses a different structure for that verb. Mm. So, for example, it's a very problematic how to translate it from Hebrew to English, because in English you have only one verb. And in Hebrew, you have seven ways to use the verb. And mm. in terms of love, in terms of love, you have two of them, two of them. And uh, the and it's very interesting to realize it that uh, if you are not tuned to the changes in the way the verb is being used, uh, you lose the story. You okay. lose the story. So, comparatively speaking, you're doing the archaeology on that, but you also recently have re- done a um, analysis of the Mueller report, and these are yep. two kind of very contrasting things. And I'm very interested in, I understand you're using the same tools, but I'm guessing the methodology or intent may be different. If you take the Mueller report, um, um, if you will look for deception, you will lose because there is no deception in the report. But what they are using, they are using language to mislead the reader. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what they do. So actually, the main point is, let me show you. It's really funny, actually, if you think about it. There were two, two issues uh, that, that the Mueller investigation dealt with. Uh, number one was, was there any collusion between the Russians and the Trump campaign? Mm-hmm. Okay. And number two, uh, once the investigation started, did uh, President Trump uh, or was President Trump involved in obstruction of justice, meaning to obstruct the investigation? Right. Uh-huh. Okay. So what they, they, it's really interesting. What they did, they, they, so they divided the report into two. The first part is the collusion, and the second part is obstruction. But now, 
let me show you. They concluded that there was no collusion. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, if there was no collusion, how can they come to discuss obstruction of justice? Because right. if there was no collusion, there can, can be no obstruction. Because there was nothing to investigate. It didn't happen. <laughs> no, no, let's say they do investigate. Let's say you investigate me for something I didn't do. Right. And I now move to shout like crazy, and I am moving to use all my connections to prevent this investigation because I am innocent. Mm-hmm. Am I obstructing justice? That's no. an issue. Well, so therefore, they couldn't say that there was obstruction of justice, but there was obstruction of the investigation. Mm, that makes sense. Right. Which is tricky. That. It's very tricky now. So they are using language, uh, but if you read it correctly, you, and not only that one, let me show you another point. The, and I had the, when I went over the text, I had the problem. And why? Because the FBI is using what is called the Form 302. Okay? Right. What, what is 302? 302 is the summary of the interviews that they do. Okay? Right. Okay, just a minute. But according to the book published by McCabe, who was deputy to call me, he says that the FBI gives the interviewers five days to write the report, mm. which means the report is not written at the time of the interview. Right. Now, when I was in the police, and I was a polygraph examiner in the police, there was no way I will write the report uh, like even two hours later, because two hours later, there is already another polygraph examination in my mind. What would I remember? So once the polygraph was over, I sat down to write the report before I moved to the next one. All right? Because what happens with memory? So mm-hmm. actually, when I went over the Mueller uh, report, I did not trust anything except emails. Now, mm. in emails, you cannot really dispute if it went or it didn't go. Sure. I mean, you have the email, and it is a track record, and it is reliable. Mm-hmm. So emails, if there was email... And text I, messages, too, right? Uh, yes, even text messages, as long as... Uh, let me say this way. If they will have transcripts of interviews, then I will rely upon it. Right. But they don't. They don't. They, as official policy, they don't. I know they record. don't record it even. It's annoying. They don't record anything. Go and figure why not. By the way, in Canada, in Canada, at least in Ontario, I know that the police is not allowed to interview anybody unless it is videotaped. I like that. And I like by the that. way, this is not to help. That is not to help the suspect, because if he will confess, he's done. Mm-hmm. It's done. There is no way to come out of it. I mean, they don't do it because they want to help the citizen. They want a record of what was said. And by the way, that's scan. Scan does not deal with nonverbal. It deals mm-hmm. only with text. And people ask me, why don't you care about nonverbal? I tell them nonverbal is not evidence in court. What the person says is evidence. But mm-hmm. we need to make sure that we have exactly what is said. And the main point is, a transcript, yes, I rely upon a transcript. Uh, a, a email, yes, 
text message, yes. But when you come and five days later, you write to me a report after you talked with all your uh, co-workers about them, what you did, I mean, all your memory is mishmashed. It's unbelievable. It, it cannot be reliable. And as a matter of fact, they prosecute people for perjury based upon this 302. Go mm. and figure how they can do it. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I don't know if it, go and figure. I mean, no other police agency will go like that. Seriously, even in the United States, nobody. Uh, find me any police department that they will allow a detective to write the report five days later. Oh, no. Well, and they record it. I mean, it, it, we're talking no, about body cams, let alone, you know, statements, no, no, for God's no, sake. I know. I know. <laughs> but you talk about the Mueller uh, report. So when I went over it, I only relied upon the the all the points that they had a track record, what was said. So emails, mainly it was emails. Uh, and uh, once you go into emails, you see that the... Today we know a lot more actually about the investigation, mm. but in terms of the uh, Mueller report, it's a very interesting point. So the, they concluded, by the way, they didn't say there was no collusion. What they said, we have no evidence that there was collusion. Right, right. right. Uh, which, which is, by the way, that's true to every case. You cannot say somebody didn't do it. You can only say I don't have evidence sure. that he did it. Right. So th that's true. But if you don't have evidence, how do you move to investigate obstruction? That's the point. Uh, so the, the, uh, it's interesting to read it, but you see, the main point is, uh, let me show you, uh, people, uh, I read one time a book published by the chief of, uh, former chief of the Mossad, and he said in his book that 85% of all information that intelligence services get are from open sources. Now, mm. what is open sources? It's Facebook, books, Twitter. Uh, you go to social media, but it's yeah. books, so, uh, uh, magazines, newspapers, radio, TV, whatever. That's called open sources. 85%. Now, all the rest, for example, all the snooping and spying and all the rest is only 15%. 85% is open sources. Now, if you listen... Now, what's the problem with open sources? I tell you, the problem is, and I found out in uh, when you analyze a text. Let's say I go over a text and I start from the beginning, okay? Uh, and I go over the text and I reach the end. But the main point is, uh, how would I understand the beginning and if I don't know the ending? Because to know the language of the writer you need to look upon the language 360 degrees because then might be the end, might expand the beginning. So mm. therefore, I found out in the past that the second time I go over the text, I get 40% more information. Mm. There is no way to read a statement only left to right because if you read it in English, if you read it only left to right, you don't see the full picture because when you read the first sentence, you don't know the end, the the last sentence. But it mm. might be that the last sentence might explain the first sentence. So therefore, there is no way to read the text only once. You need to read it once. That's the initial reading. And then you need to go, because now you finish with the ending, you need to go to the beginning to see maybe there is more information that you didn't know because you didn't know the end. 
So mm. 40% more information the second time you go over a text. And this is true in every single text. So when I come, when I send the, my analysis to a detective or anybody else, and they ask me, why didn't I see it the first place? And I tell them I didn't see it the first place either. Because <laughs> I, just, I just took the time to go over it twice. Not once, but twice. So the main point, let me show you. Even the book about Genesis, I found out that uh, I, 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 I analyzed it in Hebrew. But then I moved it to English. Hmm. So when I moved to translate it to English, I found more information. Because, let me show you. The, when I go, uh, when I read a statement in my mother tongue language, I fall into the trap that I think I know the language. Mm. But I don't know the language. That's the main point. I don't know the language. The, I know the language, my language. For example, right now the two of us speak in English. Yes. But you realize your English might not be my, my English. Although we might use the same vocabulary, but we might attribute different meaning to the same vocabulary. So, for example, if you take, for example, I got up at six, what does it mean to get up? I Hmm. I read an article, I read an article that all the people on this globe are divided into two groups in regard to getting up in the morning. And by the way, that's not psychological, that's physiological. That group number one is the group that when the alarm goes off, they shoot themselves out of bed like a missile. Mm-hmm. Group number two slides into the day for two, three hours. It takes them two, three hours to get up. I mean, mm-hmm. how many people will tell you that they didn't get up before they had two cups of coffee? So mm-hmm. the main point is, what does it mean to get up? We don't know what it means to get up. We are assuming that we know, right. but maybe we don't know. So the point is that the the, the text, the text is... Um, uh, even if, uh, when I moved to uh, take the uh, Hebrew analysis into English, I suddenly I realized that there are more points that I missed. Mm. Because once you move into language which is not your language, you are more careful. <laughs> you are really more careful. So when you go into a statement that you are not that familiar with, like not mother tongue, uh, you are more careful and then you do it a lot better. I find that when I... When I'm trying to interpret something, I deliberately read it aloud because having to change modality even can make a difference because it's different structure to scan on a page versus to speak it. i tell you why. Uh, the slower you go over a text, the better you are. You know, in the United States, we are in the quick fix society. We, do, we want to do everything quick. And people tell me, uh, why not to... Uh, structure the analysis to do it by a computer. Right. And I tell them, by the way, many years ago, I had a, I had a, like, uh, a computer program to do some, some of the components in, mm-hmm. in a statement. I found out that it was totally, uh, totally not good because the less, I mean, the slower I will go over a text, the better I will be. So what you are saying now, that when you read it loud, you do, cannot do speed reading. No. So you are slowing down your reading. That's practically what you do by, by reading it loud. You slow down your reading. So you have time to think over what you are reading. Now, when you go over it quick, sometimes you miss stuff. And you don't realize that you miss stuff. 
You like scan it. No pun intended. You, you practically, <laughs> practically scan it. So therefore, uh, therefore, you need to say it loud because then you are thinking about what you read. So and actually, uh, let me say it this way, and not even reading loud is as slow as it is because you can slow down. So when I tell people, for example, that you need to circle the pronouns, Mm-hmm. The, the pronouns are very important, by the way. So when you circle the pronouns, what is the advantage of circling pronouns? It slows you down. It simply mm-hmm. slows you down. So the, the slower you go, the better you are. So the, the quicker you go, the more you miss. The more you miss. So the, the, uh, and I tell people that, um, uh, because before I came to the police, I was in military intelligence. Now, military intelligence is a very different environment from police because uh, military intelligence is time-oriented organization. Everything needs to be quick, 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 quick. Now, police is results-oriented organization because they want you to do to catch the criminal. And by the way, we wouldn't even care if you will catch him in two days or three days, we don't care. You catch him, we tap your shoulder, we say, great, right? <laughs> but the military intelligence, they will come and tell you, why didn't you do it in one day? Mm. Right? Because it's time-oriented. So I tell people, don't rush, don't rush. Just do it slow, because nobody will criticize you for taking time, but they will criticize you if you don't do it right. So in order to do it right, the slower you go, the better you are, because you need to do it right. So sometimes it takes me, uh, I have in in mind several cases, that it took me four days to go over a text. And the investigator asked me, uh, once I finished, why didn't I see it in the first place? I said, well, Mr. You take four days, you think about it, it will come to you also. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just the point of time. I mean, we need to go over time. By the way, how many times people tell you that when they read the book, the second time, they, oh, oh right, you agree with me, right? Because the second time you read the book, even if it's fiction, the second time you read it, you can see it more. Because now you are reading it with the knowledge of the end. Mm-hmm. So you you can follow the event a lot better, or so even the, movies or television because yeah, you, you get the you, big points. You know all the high points, so now you're starting I, to look at the nuance. Gun with the wind, you know. I mean, I saw it many times, and each time I enjoyed it. Really, the point is that the more times you go over something, the more you something uh, additional you get, something additional you get that you didn't see it before. The, there is so much in a text. I mean, sure. I mean, I mean, even within name, uh, people think that you need um, you need long stories. But mm-hmm. the main point is, is um, you can just do a sentence. One sentence can give you so much information. One sentence. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't need like a page. I mean, sometimes one sentence. Uh, uh, let me take you. Uh, give you example. Uh, the, you remember there was a case in the United States, a mother who took her two children, I mean, Susan Smith, Susan, in yes. South Carolina. Yeah. She killed her two children and put them in a car, drove them mm-hmm. into a lake. But the next day, uh, there was a very brief quote in the newspaper 
what this mother said. And uh, my daughter came to me with the newspaper in Phoenix, and she said, what do you say about her? <laughs> Two sentences. So I read the first sentence. I told her she killed her. Mm. Why? Because she said, why do they say that I killed my children? Find me any normal mother who will use the word I killed my children in first person singular past tense. No mm. such thing. There are things that people do not even talk like that, not even think like that, but they don't even say it. I mean, it's so threatening to say, I killed my children. Hmm. Just if you think about it. The main point is, uh, but but this is based upon, uh, upon the point that people really, really want to be truthful. But how can they be truthful uh, uh, and not getting punished? So what they do, they say, I killed my children in a question. So they mm. do confess in a way, but they put a question mark at the end, and so it's not a confession. So it releases but, pressure. Right. Releases, by the way, that's exactly it. Releases pressure because they feel okay. that they are talking. They, 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 there are things that people do not say. Uh, uh, they, and uh, when I saw why do they say that I killed my children, I said, that's it, she killed them. I mean, finally, finally, any... Any average, I'm not talking about uh, highly educated or anything, but just any mother who will use such a sentence. There are things that people do not say. And actually, there is also, that's true in statements, there are things that people do not say. And when they say it, they're in a way, they're breaching an etiquette or the way people should talk. The, the the not not people. Let me say this way: nobody says everything anyway. I mean, even if you are truthful, you do not say everything. Sure. I mean, yeah. Well, what if I tell you I got up, took a shower, and got dressed? What do you know? I took, I got up at six, took a shower at nine, and got dressed at eleven. I mean, did I lie to you? No. I just give you the highlights of my day. Sure. <laughs> so, summary. Got it. Yes, yeah, summary. By the way, that's it. A statement is a list of summaries. It's mm. not a list of activities. It's no, that not. makes sense. That's like yeah. I don't necessarily say that I got gas on my way to work. I'm not de- deliberately omitting it. It's just it's no, meaningless no, no, no. to me. Yeah, I just there's just something well, I did. Let's, let's say you you say I went to sleep. What does it mean? I went to sleep. Some people take a shower and then you prepare yourself to sleep. Some people read in bed for mm-hmm. one hour and they wouldn't mention it. They say I went to sleep. I mean, boom. And when to sleep can be one, two hours. I mean, but but nobody says beyond. I went to sleep or I went to bed. It doesn't matter. But Mm -hmm. the point is that the that's exactly what you said. A statement is summaries. And once you realize that you are not facing reality, no statement is about reality. It's only the way you relate to reality. If you relate, if you realize. By the way, how many people will say my son, my daughter, and they are not biological parents? So are you going to criticize them? No, they tell you how they feel. It's Mm -hmm. not a question of reality. A statement, I tell people, a statement is not reality. It's not. It's the way you relate to reality. So if you take, for example, Genesis, is, is it the reality in full? No. The, the, the Bible is very economical in, in reporting the events. I mean, in one sentence can be one year. 
Yeah, it's second. very. It's like, and then, and then, and then, and, and it's like it's very concise. Yeah. Very concise. I mean, you move there. It's very concise. Cain and I mean, Abel is what? It's like three sentences. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, it's a, it's a chapter in my book because practically, it's very interesting to realize it. Practically, uh, uh, Cain did not murder Abel. He killed Abel. Uh, and there is one word there, one word that tells you that he didn't murder, meaning it was not uh, premeditated. It was murder, but not premeditated. As oh, like a, result, a manslaughter more? Or like uh, a- it was a manslaughter. But the main point is that's why Cain was punished by exile. And as mm. a matter of fact, the Bible tells you that exile is only for manslaughter, not for murder. Huh. It is true in the book numbers that there were a, a, a refu- a cities of refuge that the one who killed with no intention to kill could run there from the uh, the one who wants to take revenge. He would run there and he should be safe there. So the but that's only for manslaughter, not for murder. So mm-hmm. that's why Cain was punished by exile, not by murder. It okay. is a point to realize it. Uh, but but the text. Uh, the text, and by the way, now you realize that if I'm telling you this one, uh, you need to realize that Genesis is likely a later book than, uh, really? it must be, because it shows the rule of punishment for manslaughter, which is only mentioned in numbers. Hmm. Well, I'm confused by things anyway, like, um, you know, Cain leaving and then finding a wife and Nod, and I'm like, well, where'd she come from? You know, there, there's a, a lot of... Well, uh, no, no, the main point is, let me say this way. The main point is, the. Uh, let's say this way. Was Adam the first human being? The It's not clear in the text, because, uh, let, let me... I sure. don't want to shock you too much, but mm-hmm. but let's go to the text of the first chapter. Mm-hmm. It says that um, uh, God said, let's make Adam in our image. Right. Who's our? Is it him and the That's angels? It. Is it? It yeah, doesn't say, it doesn't say, let's make Adam. It right. says, let's make Adam in our image. And uh, another one. So the, the, it's two components, but, but let's say in our image, but it doesn't say let's make Adam. So it is implied, it is implied that there was Adam not in our image. No, it makes sense. So that, that's, that's implied. It doesn't say it, but that's implied. If you, if you read it correctly, if I say let's make a building of uh, four floors. That tells you that there are buildings with not four floors. <laughs> if I say let's let's build a building, I'm not into the details, but I'm into the building. But once right. you move into the details of something, you are implying that there must be something there elsewhere there. So mm. that's that that's that's simple um, logic of a sentence. So what I'm saying is, it's not that clear that Adam was the first human being. We we are assuming it was, that he was, but not necessarily. 
Well, wasn't uh, a lot of this determined by the quote conclave or whatever? If we get all the way into Christianity, um, where they well, said, you know, I'm I'm only going into the evil but I I by the way, it is even said that the, when they moved to establish the canon, meaning the the evil Bible of the twenty four books, mm-hmm. there was a discussion which book to put in, which book not to put in, and mm-hmm. they know by the way for a fact, that there were books that were left out. I mean, that they were not included in the 24 books. The Dead Sea Scrolls, for example? Uh, Oh, there are several, there are several. And uh, not only that one, there were books, for example, uh, Ecclesiastes was a book that they almost didn't put in the Bible. Mm. Because it's a very nihilistic book. It's a book that gives you depression once you read it. I mean, vanity, 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 and you really get uh, depressed. I mean, it, it says there that practically, hey, I mean, don't bother. Life is meaningless. I mean, that, that's mm. the book, practically the main message of the book. So they, they were concerned if to include it in the book. So it is says in the Talmud that the only reason that they included it in the book, <laughs> because of only one sentence, they say, uh, the sentence says, the verse, the verse says, uh, have good life, a good life, enjoy your life, whatever, but don't forget, time will come and you will stand for judgment. Mm. That's the only verse that brought that <laughs> book to the canon. Wow. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been included. It's a depressing book. It's, it's an interesting point, I mean, actually, if you think about it. But the, the text, the text of uh, uh, Genesis is uh, it's a very interesting text, actually. Uh, uh, let me say this way: it's a book. Uh, uh, it's very clear that the one who wrote the book must have been a poet, mm. because it is written. Although it's in prose, but it is practically written in poetic prose. Is it possible <laughs> that the very few people could even write? When the person the wrote the book, oh, so yeah, they probably the would have a dramatic flair or... No question, no question. At that time, most people didn't know how to read and write. And as a result, uh, Genesis, the language in Genesis, also send, sends messages via the sounds of the words. Mm. Meaning, not just the word itself by content but also the way the word is sound, because most people at that time listened to the story, but they Mm. didn't read the story. So therefore, you can see that sounds do play in the text. Uh, But you need to go by the Hebrew, because if you don't go by the Hebrew, you lose it. But but the the sounds also play, uh, because the, the book was not written for people to read. The book was written for the readers to read it to the public. Like a play. It was written like By a way, play that you performed. What I was saying, it's great, because the book is written like a script. Mm. It's really like a script of a play, because not only that it is a script, but there are some verbs that the book wants you to know what went on in the mind of the people playing in the story. There are so mm. many, there are verbs that if you don't know them, you will not, I can give you one example by the way. I'll give you one example. The, the verb to ask today, to ask, like to ask a question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the verb to ask in the entire Bible is not being attributed 
to either the to either to God or to angels. Hmm. It's not. For example, let's take the beginning of the with Cain after he killed his brother. Uh, God came to him and said, uh, "Where where are you?" But he doesn't say. He asked him. He said, "God said, where are you?" Hmm. He doesn't say. God asked him, "Where are you?" Because you will not find that God asks a question. And the reason is that you can only ask if you don't know. Thank and God if you knows. know, if you know, you don't ask. So therefore, God didn't ask because he wanted to know where is Cain, right? I mean, as God needs to look around to find Cain. I mean, God knows exactly where is Cain. So you will not find the verb to ask by either uh, God or angels. So therefore, you can see it in the text there that when Jacob is struggling with the angel during the night, there is a story there when, when they are running away from Laban and he moves across the river and there it says there that he was struggling with a man. But then the man says, it says, the text says like this, the man said, what is your name? It doesn't say the man asked, what is your name? Okay. And therefore, we know that that man was an angel because he didn't ask. He said, what's your name? But when Jacob asked him, it says, and Jacob asked him, what is your name? Hmm. Because Jacob didn't know the name, so therefore it is the verb to ask. So you will find, and that's in the entire text, you will not find that one who knows the answer, will the verb will not attribute the verb to ask. Wow. It's only when you don't know the answer. And God always knows the answer. Angels always know the answer. For example, when the three uh, angels come to Abraham and they say, that, and they ask him, where is your wife? And mm -hmm. he says, she's in the tent. But they, it doesn't say, they ask him, they say, he said, where is your wife? That's amazing. I mean, yeah. That's like a cop telling a suspect after they find the body. Where is your wife? <laughs> they would say that, <laughs> not ask it. <laughs> the, the point is, the point is that you are not uh, tuning to these nuances. That right. the the but I tell you what, this one for me to do it, I, I couldn't use a search function in the computer. There is no way to do it because hmm. go and figure where it is there. And where right, it the is set not. is so common that, yeah, you can't, oh, yeah, differentiate. You can see, you can see, one who knows the answer does not ask. Right. And therefore, therefore, let me show you, when you go to the binding of Isaac, it says there, and, uh, and Isaac said, to his father, mm. I can see the fire and I can see the wood, but where is the lamb? But he doesn't say that he asked. He said mm. that he said, because he knew that he is going to be the lamb. Wow. Yeah, look, he's not stupid. I mean, they go up the mountain and they have the fire, they have the wood, and there is no lamb. I think he's stupid. He knows that something is going on there, right? So mm. it, it says... And he said, we have the fire, we have the wood, where is the lamb? But he doesn't say that he asked, because he knew that he is going to be the one. But we also know, <laughs> it's very interesting, we also know that Abraham knew that he is not going to do it. Mm. 
There's a lot of layers in some simple uh, sentences. There are so many layers. I mean, I can tell you, there are so many layers. If you don't read it by the language, you miss the story. You actually miss the story. Uh, Let me show you. Very briefly, I mean, and it is true even today. You find out that abusive parents do not use the word son and daughter in their language. None. You, you, uh, by the way, if you listen to them all their life, they don't say son and the word son and daughter in the language. The, the, uh, and if a parent says my son, the relationship is perfect. L- like, mm. for example, when you said at the beginning, you say my dad. I told you, wow, you had a good relationship with your dad because mm. you did say my dad. Okay. Now, the, the main point is the word child indicates grave danger to the kid. Mm. Uh, and when so there is my no, child, then would be my a bad. child means a lot of danger to the kid. Okay. Uh-huh. So, and by the way, this is even true today. Is that so because the, it's a possessive, like like, like no, they're no, more no. of a possession it's, than a person? It is depriving the word son and daughter. Okay. It's the word child. Uh-huh. And uh, so the it says that Abraham uh, did not. And by the way, there are some places that it, it uses the word child. But there are, but when Abraham told the two two guys that came along with them to take care of the stuff, he said, you stay here and me and the lad will go up the mountain. He doesn't say me and the child because Abraham knew that, he is not go, that Isaac is not in danger. Mm. So you will ask how Abraham knew. That's very interesting. Because you see, you cannot read a story only left to right. You need to read it in 360 degrees. Because few chapters earlier, mm. God promised Abraham that your seed will come from Isaac. It said your, because Abraham said, look, I have a son, I have Ishmael. And God said, no, 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 no. Ishmael is Ishmael. But your seed will come from Isaac. Mm. So now Isaac is single. He has no children. And he got a promise that the seed will come from Isaac. So he knew he's not going to kill him. There is no way he will kill him. Because the promise was a promise that he will have seed from Isaac. So he said, okay, you want to fool around with me? No problem. I will go and I will go through the motions. But I can guarantee to you I will not do it because you will force me not to do it because you promised me. So therefore, and what what did he say at the end of the story? That the, what did he said? Because you believed in me. Now, what does it mean to believe in me? He got an order to do it, and he did it. That's not belief, but he believed in the promise that was given to him earlier. The promise was the seed will come from Isaac. So, okay, I'm going along with the story, and therefore the 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 Abraham knew that he is not going to kill Isaac. Well, Isaac knew that he's going to get killed. Because he didn't ask, he said. So therefore, the father knew that he's not going to kill his son, and the son was very, very frightened. Oh, sure. Um, right, 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 right. But the point is, if you don't read it with the language, you miss the story. And by the way, because the, the story is so frightening, so if you go to the verse that started the story, it says, after all this stuff, God put Abraham to a test. That's how it starts. Oh, so it kind of tells you ahead. Because it tells you, don't bother, don't bother. Nothing is going to happen. It's only a test. Because look, the readers will faint. So therefore, 
the first verse come to tell the readers, take it easy, nothing will happen, it's only a test. Now, what is the test? Do you believe in the promise that was given to Abraham earlier? That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. So therefore, if you go by language, you see that the story is much deeper. It's a much, like you called it, all the layers of the story. There are layers to a story. So there are the sequence of events, and there is the language channel that comes to uh, fill in. And there are also the verbs that tell you if a person uh, what the person thinks. So if you don't pay attention to these verbs, you don't know. But uh, you know, like when you are watching a movie, uh, when the the detective is approaching the criminal, uh, chasing the criminal, you can see that there is a music that gives you the tension. Sure, sure. Right, right. It telegraphs. Yeah, yeah. You can see the music now put the tension into the story. The the text of the Genesis comes to give you the music of the event, and it does it by the language. It gives you the music. So if you go to the language channel, and that's what my book is all about. If you go to the language channel, you get the music, the the uh, the atmosphere of the story. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. And that's true for every statement. That's true for every statement, uh, if you think about it. It's true even for a statement of today. It's true for a statement of the, in the past. The, the genesis is not a, a product of uh, four people. It's a product of one person. It's a product of memory uh, that the, the stories were floating around. Uh, in the population, uh, then one took care to put it into the paper. So the, 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 but the stories were, people knew the stories. It's not, it's not uh, like, uh, it's not fiction. It's non-fiction. The book is non-fiction. It's actually uh, uh, showing history. And you need to be aware of the language to realize that it is only one person and it is one unit from the beginning to the end. And if you go by the language, you will even know that the, 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 there is the agenda of the story that it goes not so much just the sequence of events, but it goes to, to show how gradually the Israelites, I don't want to say Jewish people, at the time there was no Jewish people, but how the Israelites were to be the chosen people. That's what the book comes to show you, if you go by the language, not by the story, uh, not by the sequence of events. Sequence of events is only the deeds of what we call the deeds of the forefathers. Well, sir, in the spirit of we need to read the same book multiple times right. in order to really understand it. Right. I would love the opportunity to have you back. No problem. No problem. We need to find the time, but uh, no problem. And I thank you so much for your time today. You're and welcome. People can find you. What is your website again? Uh, it's uh, LSI scan, one word, LSI scan, one word, dot com.
Okay, and also your books are on Amazon, so people get them. My books are on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, but I tell you what, the book, the way I, I see it, my book about Genesis is not a book about Genesis. It's a mm. book about scan. It okay. comes to show you all the rules of analysis and how do I use them, and I use them in the biblical text. That's what it is. Oh, perfect, sir. Thank you so much for. You, you're welcome. You have a, a great, great evening. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. What Was That Like might just be the most intriguing podcast you'll ever hear. Each episode is a conversation with a regular person who's been through an extremely unusual situation, like Jeremy, who was bitten by a rattlesnake, or Jennifer, who accidentally killed someone, or Luke, who got caught smuggling cocaine. Real people in unreal situations. Listen and subscribe at whatwasthatlike.com. Hey, I'm Studio Steve. And I'm Veronica. And we, and we are, are the, the Podcast. We have a podcast all about podcasting. We cover everything related to the craft. How to start a podcast, how to improve a podcast, how to promote a podcast, and how to reach a bigger audience. So come check out our podcast, Pod Sound School. We're on all of the podcast players or on our website, podsoundschool.com. We are dedicated to provide our podskis with up-to-date, easy, and actionable information, sometimes outrageous and always fun. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming.